Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. On today's podcast, a reflection on the interior struggle of the Christian life. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, explains why the Sermon on the Mount is such a shockingly high calling and encourages us to become a spiritual athlete striving towards the kingdom of God. You'll also hear how St. Jose Maria Escriva believes that the layperson was in hibernation and that they too are called to become saints. Lastly, Father Peter explains the price of the kingdom of heaven, according to St. Matthew. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. And our topic of prayer is a generic one called interior struggle, in a certain sense, This is always a theme because when we converse with our Lord and we bring the gospel to our prayer, we're at least implicitly examining ourselves against the life of Jesus or his teaching and discovering and rediscovering how I can follow him. And following him takes grace, but also takes struggle against my weaknesses, against my sins, against my defects. And maybe we can look at this whole idea of sanctity in terms of the goal. What are we struggling after? We're struggling to be saints. And still, even though it's not our calling, we have in the background the most recent canonized saint, and that is now Saint Mother Teresa. And yes, we're not called, we're men, and we are not called to follow her way, But we are called, if we follow the teachings of St. Jose Maria, to love God and love others just as much as she did, but within our personal circumstances. That's what raised eyebrows when St. Jose Maria began to disclose the message he received from the Holy Spirit on that important day of October 2nd, 1928, that there's only one way to follow Jesus, and that is to aspire to be a saint. And he would use the classical role models St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese, St. John the Cross, and so forth. It's interesting to note that Jesus' first address, called the Sermon on the Mount, was not a synod of bishops. It was not a convocation for priests, but 
You didn't need a, you didn't need a ticket, just show up, show up. And this very interesting character who's starting to work miracles and speaks with special authority and mesmerizes people, gives a profound experience of being loved, is going to give an address called the Sermon on the Mount, where he unfolds his vision for anyone who wants to follow him. And he immediately catches the attention of his listeners because he tells his listeners that they have to be much better than the creme de la creme. Who are the creme de la creme? The scribes and Pharisees. That's the creme de la creme of Jewish society. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? We have to look at that for a moment. Pope Benedict would talk about the kingdom as, as union with Christ. That's what it signifies. The kingdom of heaven is entering into the life of Jesus. And basically, he reveals from the get-go that the holiness or the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees don't make the grade to enter into this life of Christ. So to do it, it has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'm sure that caught people's attention. Why? The Pharisees were not all hypocrites. Some were. They were objects of our Lord's severe reproach for their lack of humility and their lack of love for others and being caught up in rules and regulations and not enough emphasis on love for God and love for others. But for the most part, they were the role models. Why? Well, they prayed in the morning, they prayed midday, they prayed in the late afternoon, they prayed at night. They prayed a lot. Not only did they do that, they fasted, and they fasted severely. The Lord says, you know, you can't look like you're fasting in this new regime. You gotta be joyful. You gotta hide it. You gotta wash your face, put on some cologne, and get a smile on your face. So they fasted a lot. Not only that, they exercised generosity in giving of their possessions. They gave alms. Not only that, they live the moral law. They live the law of justice. 
And in the prayer of that hypothetical Pharisee, he's praying and alongside of him is the publican. He's reminding the Lord that he leads a moral life. He's not a thief, he's honest. He tells the truth, he's chaste, he's just. He practices his faith, he doesn't blaspheme, he watches his language. And our Lord says, that's not good enough. So that must have rattled people. We could also analogously apply maybe the same reaction St. Maria received when he said that the lay person has been in hibernation. That, well, pick whatever profession, the, the athlete, the doctor, the farmer, the janitor, whatever profession, is called to love God at the same tune as a Mother Teresa. That elicited a lot of persecution. In fact, that kind of teaching was considered heresy then. He was reputed to be, in some circles, a heretic. It was too radical, too demanding. But it falls very much in line with what Jesus says. Lord, help us unpack this, that my righteousness must exceed that of the scribes of the Pharisees. Did our Lord mean, all right, if the Pharisees are praying three or four times a day, the new regime expects eight times a day? I, I hope not. Okay, well, you know, this severe fasting for two or three days, do we do it now for five days or six days? Or let's, or almsgiving. Do I have to pitch a tent in my backyard because, you know, I have to put my house for sale because I'm, I'm going broke because of my almsgiving? It has to exceed the Pharisees. They were the best. Or let's translate it into our own Catholic religious practice. Does that mean that, you know, if I go to Mass on Sunday once, I go three times? Or let's say I'm, you know, I'm pretty ambitious in my spiritual life and I'm putting in a half hour of prayer. Does that mean I should put in an hour and a half prayer? We know that it can't mean that. What does it mean? Our Lord's rap against the Pharisees was that their observances, their religious practices were devoid of love and humility because humility is the staging area for love. That's what the rap was. And our Lord is always talking about heart. What's the greatest command, commandment? Love God with your whole heart. 
And let's open up the way. And there's a kind of a certain spirit here. We have to f- pray in our own personal way, but we see, well, this is the language of a saint. My God, I love you, but oh, teach me to love. To realize that you love me so much, my God, and yet I haven't lost my mind. In Christ we have every ideal, for he is king, he is love, he is God. Lord, may I have balance and measure in everything except in love. If love, even human love, gives so many consolations, then he capitalizes it, what will love be in heaven? Okay, see, there's, there's something here. This is, this is not observance. And in fact, he... He had this conversation with the starred Opus Dei in the United States, uh, Father Joseph Muskies, and uh, he was in contact with the work before the Civil War, and I mean, benefited from the formation, but it seemed like he wasn't completely sold, at least according to the biography. But you know, benefited, got got a lot out of it. War broke out. He had gone to Germany to study or work. He thought the founder of the work was dead after the Civil War, but, you know, lo and behold, he wasn't, and he resumed contact with him. And what kind of prompted him, you know, in addition to heavy doses of the Holy Spirit, uh, to commit himself to following our Lord totally, was when St. Jose Maria said, you know, your love is a love with a small L. There's only, the, nothing is better than the love. And more than, okay, a little bit of insightful wisdom, the authority with which he said that moved him to follow Christ totally. And that is what our Lord is talking about. That I need to be known. That's the new commandment which miraculously condenses all four Gospels. All the instructions of the Gospel are condensed, packed into love one another as I have loved you And in this way they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, not any old love for one another, but loving as I have loved. That's where the Pharisees failed. The almsgiving was not an act of love. It was an an observance. It was a formality. Their prayer was empty of heart. Their prayer did not lead to a friendship with God. Their almsgiving, oh, no, excuse me, their, their fasting was not a participation in the cross of Jesus. Let's keep unpacking this. How do I have this heart of Christ? You know, the whole gospel is inside that commandment. 
it's interesting to note that, I don't know, I'm not a scripture scholar, but we have one prominent publican in the gospel. In fact, I'm going to quote a publican. A publican wrote the first gospel. Publicans were, I guess, they were into a form of organized crime. That's what they were. They extorted money. And the more they collected, the more they made. So they extorted. And they, they were despicable. They were working for the enemy. They were working for the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people, dominating. So it doesn't get worse than that. And according to Jewish law, they were contaminated because they were hanging around with those guys. And they hung around with loose women and they were dishonest. They didn't practice their faith. And so it's St. Matthew being a businessman, you know, just because he repented doesn't mean he ceases to be a good businessman. And he's the only one who records parables about making a profit. And Matthew would, because he he underwent this profound repentance because of, of the friendship he had with Christ. And so it's Matthew who discloses these two parables. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered it up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The treasure is Christ, that heart of Christ. And it's hidden in a field. It's not on top of a field. It's underneath. It's buried. And you've got to look for it. And how do I obtain this treasure? And Matthew would remember this. That's why he records it. He's into profit making. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It kind of, it's a biography of, of, of Matthew's life. He left all things. And again, he's the only one, I think, who records this parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right. There is only one way to follow Christ and live this commandment of loving as he has loved. We need that disposition to make him first to give everything we have in order to buy him. You're buying him. Matthew would remember that. The other apostles don't record this. 
And the price tag is your whole, what is, what is my prized possession? What is my heart? It's myself. I have to give myself. Not just alms. Not just devotions. But my whole self. My entire self. Still, we have fresh in our minds the the Olympic Games. I didn't watch that much, but enough to see some uh, incredible athletic performances that uh, Catholic, tiny African-American gymnasts who wowed the whole world with her gymnastic feats, uh, lived with her grandparents, and they, I, don't, I don't know how the story goes, but I heard uh, that at six years old they brought her to a gym, and you know, all of a sudden she saw these gymnastic bars and all these, and she started to naturally do interesting things. As, and her grandparents realized, my gosh, this little girl... She's got a lot of talent. She's gifted. She doesn't even know it. But she she can do flips and do all sorts of interesting things without having tried it before. Okay, well, well now she's the best in the world. How did she become best in the world? Well, talent was not enough. In a certain sense, on a natural level, she had to sell all that she had and really commit herself to this, to be the best, to win that treasure, which we call a gold medal. And in case you don't like Olympic examples, the Holy Spirit likes Olympic examples. Okay? Uh, you know, the greatest evangelizer, you know, one of the Founders of Gentile Christianity gives the same example, and which means this is something I got to take to heart. We're not all called to be athletes. I'm the first one to know to know that, but we're all called to be spiritual athletes, athletes on the level of love. Do you know? That in a race, all the runners compete. Same from St. Paul. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. He's not saying everybody has to win first prize. That's a contradiction in terms. But you've got to try to win the prize. I don't know. Probably I, I could speak for everybody. whether it was touch football or basketball or a baseball game, what was irksome to me, and probably you, I could speak for you, is when your opponent is going to play three-quarter speed because they've made a rash judgment that they'll beat you badly if they don't play three-quarter speed, you know? And probably along the line, we all have that experience. Listen, either we 
you play with everything you have and I'm going to play with everything I have or we're not going to play. This, it's, this just, that's not what competition is all about. Or, or if you notice that a team is playing half speed or three-quarters speed, I mean, that's almost intolerable. The nature of a competition is that you give it all you have. So, hence the Holy Spirit uses this example through St. Paul. Every, ex- every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Lord, that's the disposition I want to foster that I really give myself to you and I really give it my best in loving you. This is not about never making a mistake, but it is about playing to win when I'm dealing with my family and my friends. Uh, it's almost like a, I got it. My love has to be someone who really wants to do it well. Can't be a lackluster love. And my prayer can't just be stagnant. Now, this is compatible. Okay, we go back to the, you know, our kind of generic, you know, I say generic because she's a canonized saint. Every saint is a model. You know, we don't have her vocation. But her prayer was very tedious. In fact, it kind of shocked people. that It was hard. It was a hard prayer. It wasn't enjoyable. Because it was just very uphill. It was very dry. I mean, she didn't get consoled in her prayer. At least emotionally consoled. I mean, when she left her prayer, she didn't feel closer to God. She didn't feel refreshed. Even though she got refreshed, she just didn't notice it. Or God didn't let her notice it. But she's got canonized not because she was consoled in her prayer. She got canonized because she gave herself totally. And these early Christians, what kind of language did they hear uh, from the apostles? St. John, in his vision from our Lord, he said, what, and he's saying, these guys are all stars. This is the church of Ephesus, where Mary lived. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had had at first. I want you on fire, our Lord is saying. And I equate that with, you know, a a man and a woman courting. It's a little bit, it's, it's diminishing. It's not the way it used to be. I want you to be on fire. And then lastly, I mean, I said almost like another meditation, but I'm done. I don't like this, this quotation. I guess the most harsh, the harshest one is when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan, but this sounds harsher. It's not, the contents are not harsher, but it comes across harsh. I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. 
would that you were cold or hot, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's a toughie. That's not a pleasant verse. I, I have, it's not my favorite. I don't know about you, but that, that certainly is not my favorite. And we know that we're not supposed to take it literally. I mean, our Lord does not reject anybody like that, period. He's always pursuing us. But what is he saying here? Why does he use this analogy that's very harsh? so uncharacteristic of the incarnation of self-giving love. He is saying that unless you really want to be on fire, you can't follow me. You can't enter into my heart. You can't enter into my kingdom. So that's why he uses that language. He's saying the, the, that attitude of, of, of just going through a formality, going through the motions is so inconsistent with entering into my heart. Let's finish our prayer, having recourse to the Blessed Virgin Mary and asking Mary to pray for us so this, this point in the way be our own. Said a prayerful soul, in intentions may Jesus be our end. In affections our love, in speech, our theme, in actions, our model. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede. Holy Mary, hope, and seed of wisdom. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.